Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to Don't Miss This. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. We are glad y'all are here. We are starting today the book of Romans, which is um, a different kind of part of the New Testament. So the book of Acts, you remember, is kind of part two of the book of Luke. So it was really story-centered and we saw all of Paul's like ministry, right, as it continued. Jesus died at the end of Luke and then it kind of carries on into the book and of we Acts. We watched Paul, we watched Peter a little bit, we, we saw the church growing. Right, now, now you get into the section of the New Testament that's kind of the epistles section or the letters section. And they're not, the order that the, that the Bible people put what them in is from biggest to smallest. Um, all of Paul's letters go first and they go Romans is first, not because it happened first, but because it's the longest of all of the, what they call the Pauline or the ones written by Paul epistles. So that's the order that it's in. That's the order we'll follow in Come Follow Me. Just for fun, let's tell you the order that it, it would be in. Which would be First and Second Thessalonians first. I think we did this earlier, but we're just going to do it again right now in case you missed it. Um, then it would have gone Corinthians, then Galatians, and then Romans um, would have happened. So that would have been the order. And then following that would have been Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Hebrews, and then Titus and First and Second Timothy. So if you want to know, if you wish you had that in your scriptures, just push pause, rewind. Go back Write that all in there. And I'm actually putting it on the study guide sheets kind of when it happened, but you can just do a quick Google search and kind of see where Bible scholars, it's always just approximate where they kind of feel like it happens, you know. Should so. we just for fun, before we jump in, let you see the board? Oh, yeah. You forgot this thing. Yeah, you, you get so happy if you like see the to board. Do. And just in case you were like me and had no idea, the, the book of Romans means it's a letter to the people who lived in Rome. <laughs> and so I remember when I figured that out and I was like, oh, so like Corinthians, there's a letter to the people who live in a city called Corinth. And that's why it's called that. And I, I was they, like, they oh, they I think they have it. This. It says to the Romans. but Right. No, no, look. An epistle of Paul the Apostle to the okay, Romans. That's as good as it's going to get. They right. can't make it any simpler. I know, but I just, but who knew what an epistle was? Well, it sounds like a bad word. Now you do. Um, so, a letter of Paul to the people who lived in Rome. So you remember, as he travels around on his missions, he is meeting some of the saints and establishing the church in these different cities. And then when he's moved on to a new city, he's writing a letter back, trying to kind of strengthen the faith and build up and answer the questions and the problems of his past And if you look at the journeys. map, you're going to see he's going so many places that it is his way of staying connected. It was interesting because as we were talking about this, the second half of the New Testament is much less story-based. Um, there will be a couple really great stories in here, but it's so much of just encouragement and counsel and Paul reaching back. And it made me think to myself, I actually got in the drawer next to my bed. I am a keeper of, my daughter-in-law will tell you, I am a sentimental hoarder. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for getting all of those. Because you guys, I just keep every important thing that ever happened in my life. And um, I have letters 
from so long ago. I can't even tell you how long ago. In fact, I was looking through all of them today and they made me so happy. I have letters from some of my kids' mission presidents. I have letters from my grandma who is no longer alive and my favorite visiting teaching companion who also is no longer alive. I have letters from um, our friends' kids, um, their parents that have written us. And two of my favorite, I just love, I just have to share with you because it is so cute. Um, here are two letters from two of my kids that they wrote me. Who loves it? This is from Caleb. And anyone who lived in the 80s, you didn't. Remembers. <laughs> remembers this is how you sent people letters. So I get the biggest kick out of this because he's seriously, this is what it was like. When you were in high school, you couldn't text your friends. You just wrote people letters like this. Mm. And you would fold them up and put their name on the front and you would pass them down the row. Who remembers that? Everyone who's older than you. Um, this one's from Grace. Look how cute the writing is. But here's what I want to tell you that you are going to get the biggest giggle out of because this will just tell you what kind of mother I am. I'm a little bit, tend to be not as responsible as I probably should be and maybe fun. If you can choose between fun or responsible, I choose fun. And obviously that, that my kids are worried true. about it because- You are listen, so responsible. Listen to the end of both of these letters. I get the biggest kick out of this. This one's from Grace. At the very end it says, you are so strong. You will make the right decisions. <laughs> As if I needed the reminder. <laughs> now I have it. That's why I keep it. And here's Caleb. I'm very glad you are my mom. Remember, constant vigil vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me tell you why that happened. Because that's all that they heard growing up, and that's why they wrote it back. So you are responsible. Obviously, you told Caleb every time he left the house, remember constant vigilance. Or Harry Potter did. Yeah. <laughs> it was Mad-Eye Moody, really. That's where that came from, I'm sure of it. But we both loved it together, so that was nice. So Anyways. this is what's fun about that, I think, is... When you read these, it's not it's scripture, but initially and originally it was Paul knew the names and the faces and the personalities of the people that he was writing these letters to. He is trying to like address real issues of the heart, real concerns, real tears, mm -hmm. real encouragement. Real problems. You know? And just like I hold on to all of those letters and honestly, like reading the one from my grandma before we came down here and... Um, Verda, my cute Verda, who I loved, and it just lifted my heart so much. Mm. They've both been gone for like a lot of years, but it's just a piece of them that I have, and it made me wonder: Did people carry around these letters? Were they things mm. that they were like, I just want to know what would Paul say in this situation, and did they pull them out of their top drawer? I think they might have. Yeah, or pass them around when they got them. You know, could you imagine how happy? the saints were in Rome when this letter came from Paul who mm -hmm. they, you know, we find out in the book of Acts that they cry and they, when he leaves these places and yep. now we got a letter from him. And so um, try and like bring some of that heart and personality, like think that way when you mm -hmm. read all of these letters. Now, the language makes it really, really difficult to do that. And so again, we said this in last week's video, I think, I especially right here, starting with the epistles, mm -hmm. It's such a good idea to have another translation um, of the Bible there because just the English, like sometimes I don't know where Paul's verbs are. In because his it's sentence. the King's English. That is what right. the King James Version is written in the King's English. And so. And I speak peasant English. <laughs> so. Um, let's give some recommendations of things that would be. Um, 
familiar to you, the language will feel a little more familiar. Actually, if you line them up verse by verse, you'll be able to, um, it'll just be clear to you. It's almost like reading this with a translator sitting next to you to say, if you were going to read this today instead of in um, the King's English, this is what it would sound like. Um, so I would guess our two favorite would be the NIV and the ESV. Um, so the NIV is a little bit more plain English, like, and then the ESV is in between. So if like the NIV mm-hmm. and the King James Bibles had a baby, it would be the ESV. So it's kind of yep, maintains right some of the pretty language, but it's more simple. It's also more Greek. So I love the Greek translation. That's my favorite part of the footnotes in, in our um, scriptures is the Greek translations at the bottom. So if you're someone who loves these footnotes at the bottom, you're going to love the ESV more. So get the ESV. You can get them on Amazon. That is the easiest place to find them. And any of them will work. They'll all be the same. Um, And you'll just want to lay it right next to your scriptures as you read, and it will just give clarification of what is happening. And then my most favorite Bible is called The Message, and it really is just conversational English. And so I will usually read... I always have that one open because I'm like, oh, that's that's what you meant. Why didn't you say that? I'm like, that's what you should have said. And that's like the high school slang version of all scripture. No, yeah, it's the not. There's is. like yes. the it, Jesus book. It's like the high school slang okay. one. But the message is like just good. It just yeah. uses. You're going to like it. And there's good one-liners in there. So, But if you were only going to choose one, I'm just going to say this. No, do not buy the message. If you're only choosing one, ESV. That. I promise you that is the one you want to get. It's just as an easy um, See, help. She's responsible, not fun. <laughs> I told you. Okay. okay. That is All right. Hopefully case. that is really helpful. Just check them out. You can get a Bible app and they're all in there and it's oh, free. True. So you can that's, just compare them. Then you don't them. even have to go to Amazon. Yeah. Just get a Bible app. Um, so that's we, good. We like, let's see, we'll put two in the notes. Yeah. I have to start a little note thing. Um, Bible app. I'm going to put it right here, everyone, and we will give you some ideas of free ones you can go to that will be helpful. Okay. What you like about all the... Are we ready? Should we yeah, start? Okay. Should start. Um, how a lot of the, the letters start is like how all letters start, and you'll get a greeting from Paul. Like in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at Corinthians, and Paul kind of has to squash some problems in Corinth. So he's going to come down and be a little bit like mom mean voice is what he has to be um in that one but usually i like that he will start off like with a greeting a love hello it's me um and then there always seems to be like a compliment at the beginning of how it's just an encouragement that happens and we love this one in romans 1 where he starts um in verse 8 um he says first i thank my god through jesus christ for for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world and i just think that's neat what a compliment, how encouraging for people who are facing such persecution to say like, just so you know that the members in Ephesus and the members um, in Philippi and the members in Jerusalem, they all know your story and they're all strengthened by all of your faith. And we thought it would just be neat to maybe talk about together as a group or a family. Like, who do you know that is like that? Who's like, just like their faith like strengthens yours. That whenever you get discouraged about the world, you remember that person mm-hmm. that they have. When Jenny and I first got married, we actually moved into her grandfather's house in Provo. 
And he lived on one floor of the house and we lived on the other floor of the house. We kind of took care of him and got to live for free. So it was a, it was a nice um, symbiotic relationship. <laughs> it was neat to move in there. And Jenny's grandmother had passed away um, a couple of years before we moved into the house. And, and she was sick kind of toward the end of her life. So she didn't know much about her. And it was kind of neat in that ward that people had lived there for years and years and years and years. And once they found out who we were, especially who Jenny was, um, they all wanted to tell a story about Helen Sorensen, oh. about let me just, can we just tell you about the day that, you know, um, we lost our house? Can we tell you about the day that my brother died? Can we tell you about how she was there with healing words, how she was there with acts of kindness, how she was there with compassion, how she mm-hmm. would come and pray with people? And, uh, and it just was, I remember coming home from church one day and Jenny just saying, I love feeling so connected to her and seeing what a great impact that she had in the world. Everybody knew, you know, who she was. Her faith was spoken of, mm. you know, through that entire neighborhood. So and good. Doesn't need to think of somebody like that and you just think, you know, you catch a story, you know, on your phone of something bad going in the world and you're just like, man, this world is in big trouble. And then you think, nope. Because we've got a Helen Sorensen in the world, you know? <laughs> yes. So it's going to be okay. So I just love that. And that could be a cool discussion to talk about. Who do you know that's a person like that? A lot of times through these letters, we are going to do just this, where we are going to pick out little nuggets that are just the parts you don't want to miss from these chapters. And, and in these six, that is what we've done. We're going to pull you from place to place. Um, and another, then check the, you know, check the Come Follow Me manual because they'll do the same thing. Yes. You can't cover all of it. So it's fun to see like, oh, who's picking out individual verses and principles mm-hmm. that speak to them from these letters. Yep. Um, another verse that we love um, right here in the very first chapter is in verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And it's just such a powerful statement from him. And, and we love that about Paul. He's always giving these powerful one-liners. But again, as you think about that person who has that kind of faith, um, to be thinking of someone you know who isn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a mother, one of my favorite things is to hear about one of my kids where they have been recognized not just for their achievements, not just for the the great things that they're doing in the community or in um, school or whatever, but when they're also recognized as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one of my favorite stories happened recently. One of my sons had the opportunity to play college lacrosse and he played for a bit at BYU. And then when he went to medical school at Creighton, he still had eligibility left. And so he um, was on the Creighton lacrosse team and just went when he could go and he loved it. And there was one particular game when Omaha was playing, in Omaha, there were two schools that were rivals. Um, I can't remember the two names. I think one was Nebraska and then it was Creighton. And they were gonna play each other. It was the big rivalry game. So you just imagine wherever you live, the two schools that are against each other and he was playing in the game. And it ended and the score was tied and they went into a first overtime and a second overtime and a third overtime. Mm-hmm. And then they finally got to the fourth overtime and um, it was sudden death and Caleb scored the winning goal and the whole stadium just erupted and they went over to the sidelines. They met with the coaches and everybody and then he got ready to go and he packed his whole bag and he started um, walking up out of the stadium and someone yelled at his wife who was walking by him, what number was he? And Maria said, 15. And she was like, 
It was the best day of Caleb's life. The entire stadium stood up and cheered as they exited the stadium. And um, so on one hand, that was awesome. But I will tell you the best part is the person who was tweeting out the score and the play-by-plays and everything that was going on when Caleb scored in that fourth overtime, the tweet says, um, winning score, Caleb, the Stormin' Mormon Freeman is how they listed it. And I was like, I love, I don't know how they came upon that he was Mormon, um, that that's what he stood for, that that's what he represented. But I love that in that, like Caleb's best day of his lacrosse career, um, his middle name was the Storm and Mormon, right? <laughs> Who loves that? That he just wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter where he was. And there's something to be said for being like that, for living like that. Yeah. And what's neat is he gives a reason right here why he's never been ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to Jews, to Greeks, to anyone. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Um, meaning the word gospel means good news. It comes from an old English word that means like the good news. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's saying. He's like, the good news is it is God's righteousness, not ours, that saves us, right? That is such good news. So no matter how, um, you know, however many times we mess up, we always get second chances. That he has come to the earth and he has saved any and everyone who wants to be saved. And so that's why, that's, that's why I'm not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. Because it's such good news. Like For everyone. For Jews. For Greeks. For Gentiles. Right. You if know, you have bad everyone. news to give to somebody, you're kind of like, you kind of hum and haw yes. over like, oh, remember when Martin Harris lost the plates and he's like, <laughs> I mean the pages and he's like, <laughs> he takes until like one to come. If you had good news, you run at 6 a.m. and tell him. And he's like, once you know what the good news is um, and you get so excited, like, of course you're not ashamed mm -hmm. of it, which is really neat, yeah. I think, in that. And a lot of Bible scholars uh, say that these two verses are actually the theme of his entire letter. Right, that this is what salvation is, and I'm not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So, and so we we kind of want to go into um, into that assurance of salvation. Paul is going to talk about it all the way through the second half of the New Testament, um, and we're going to learn a lot about it. In fact, we talked yesterday for 45 minutes because we were like, "How much do we give in?" the first six chapters of Romans. And right. instead of trying to figure all of it out in one set of chapters, what we want to do is is just invite you to go on a journey with us for the rest of this New Testament study to learn about grace. What grace is, how it works, how it ties into our salvation, what it has to do with the atonement of Jesus Christ. And Paul is is going to be passionate about teaching us that. He, he tells us, I if I could finish my course, it would be by teaching about grace. And so almost every time we get into a chapter, we're going to be learning about grace. And this is one of the parts that we loved about um, this. is He's going to talk about the fact that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ and through his grace, all of us can be saved, everyone, all mankind. No matter who you are, Jew or Greek or Gentile or anyone, salvation is promised to all of us. And in these chapters, he's going to tell us because of God's righteousness, which is a little tricky to understand because we start trying to earn a spot when we start trying to put everything upon a law or upon righteousness. 
And part of what we need to understand about righteousness is what Paul is telling us is that God keeps his promise. That is what righteousness is. That's what righteousness means. It's someone who can, without fail, keep a promise. And Paul's going to teach us God can do that. God can overcome anything. If he says he's going to do it, he will do it. Right. That's what he will do. And and he teaches us that there is something about faith, about believing in Christ and believing in that promise of Christ, believing that that God will fulfill that righteous promise he made to us. And there's also something about becoming that happens through the law that is designed to help us become like Christ. So the promise that he gives, if you just want to look at it real quick, is uh, one of the, another favorite verses, Romans 3, chapter verses 23 and 24, where he says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but 24, but being justified or made clean freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Meaning the promise is, even though you have fallen short, you can still be justified and redeemed through the grace of Christ Jesus. So that's God's promise. And that is one that he's going to be righteous and faithful to. It is his, it's through his goodness, right? That we're going to be saved. Then he gives an example. He's like, let me help you see this in a little bit more well, everyday think, type of thing. And I think it's important for us to realize it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. You will hear people arguing about this in every religion that believes in Jesus Christ. Is how does it work exactly? Like how how is it done? And and how's that going to play out? And I think Paul realizes we're all going to ask that question. We're all wondering how is it going to play out? And so he's going to give us a scenario and what he wants to say to us is it's almost as if he's going to ask you three questions and we've put them right here on the study guide. Rather than thinking about salvation, which is so huge, sometimes it's inconceivable to think about, Paul says, here, let me help you watch how God can do this in an everyday situation, and then let me teach you how it relates to your salvation. So we want you to think about your own life right now. We want you to think about where you are, and here are some questions to just think about. Where is your hopeless place? Where are you broken? Um, what can you not overcome on your own? What is that for you? And we just, we want you to think about it. You might want to write it down somewhere. So as we're going through this journey, you can just think, okay, I, I know what that is. I know where I don't have hope right now. I know the thing that I feel like I can't overcome. Or that's impossible. Just hold do, on yeah. to that, whatever that is. And Paul's going to say, let me tell you about a man who was in that same situation. And let me show you the righteous promise of God and how it's going to work. So chapter four is all about the story of Abraham. So this is sort of his like case study. And you remember that God made promises to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. Um, but Sarah was barren. And so, or, or the two of them together, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is, that was like where it wasn't going to make sense. Where he says, you're going to be the father of all of these nations and your family will bless all the nations and families of the earth. But he looked at his life and he was like, but I'm 90 and she's 90. I'm and this a, doesn't make sense. Yeah, and it's like that. And I, God's I don't talking know. about trying to count the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. And we've talked about before, if you were to lick your thumb and stick it in the sand and then try and count it, could you? Like, would that even work? And that's what God has promised Abraham. And when you're 90 years old and your wife is barren, 
there has to come a point where you start questioning God's righteousness to that promise. Yeah, it's like, well, this is impossible. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And so these words, um, if you go down in chapter 4, starting in verse 18. This is some of my favorite scripture in the entire New Testament. We're going to read you just pieces of scripture right now. We've written them down here. There are things you might want to go back and mark. Because I want you to think to yourself, where is your barren place? Where is the place that you feel like God actually can't perform a great work there? Because it's inconceivable. It's impossible. There's no way he could do something there. That is Sarah, right? Where she's like, do you know I'm 90? <laughs> do you know I've never had children? Um, you know, th- this is a improbable and inconceivable and it's just... It isn't going to work. Yeah. So this is what it says, starting in verse 4, talking about Abraham and Sarah. And it says... In verse 18, actually. I meant chapter, chapter 4, four, verse 18. They say, but who against hope believed in hope? Or against all odds still plunged into that promise and into that hope. Um, he and being not, verse 19, and being not weak in faith... They staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And I love the thought of those verses. They are verses I turn to on the regular. When I am faced with something that I'm like, well, I can't overcome this. Even I'm not sure if we can overcome this. I come here and it, I have it now. I just go through it. I love when you think about who against hope believed in hope and being not weak in faith. He staggered not, but was strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And there is something about those two words, able also. Um, ours is a God who is able. If he promises something, he will perform it. He will. And I love that Abraham clung to that promise. He was willing to test the promises of God and figure out how that was going to work out for he and his family and and learn that God was able, that he could overcome what seemed that they would never overcome because of his righteousness to the promise he had made to Abraham. And you look at your own life, I don't know what you wrote down. I don't know what you're challenges where you've lost hope what it is you're not sure if you can overcome but god knows that thing that place where is the barren part of your life god knows that and we have to trust god's promises we have to prove god's promises and to trust his righteousness and when you watch him overcome something like sarah's barrenness or you look at your life and you watch him overcome the thing you thought by yourself you could never overcome. But with God, you can. With the grace of Jesus Christ, you can. With that enabling strength, you're able to do what you could not do. That's trusting the righteousness of God. That's putting our trust in him. And because God can help you overcome that, it's what allows us to trust that if God says you will have salvation, then you can trust that righteous promise. You will have salvation through Jesus Christ, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, through his grace and the enabling power he gives 
um, that promise is going to be made manifest in each of our lives. Right. So what he was saying about Abraham is, was it because of how good Abraham was or what Abraham was able to figure out that he was able to do that? And he was like, no, it's that he trusted in what I could do. Meaning like God speaking, mm -hmm. if he, tr he trusted in what God could do. And I love that line of Abraham. Like it was like, okay, I've got to forget that I'm not able to do this on my own. That it's impossible for me, but plunge into the promise of God. That's a phrase from the message, by the way. <laughs> um, and so we want you to think about that now. How could you plunge into that promise? How do you just like kind of give over your whole, you know, life and trust and hope, you know, to him and that thing you can't overcome on your own how would you be able to overcome it with god and the answer is probably not going to come today usually those overcomable things um like you remember sarah that's 90 years of overcoming that with god and sometimes all we get is the next right step and then the next right step and then the next right step but we can trust god's promises yeah. in that and we kind of want to show you an, another area where grace works like that the power grace has to overcome um, we're gonna go to chapter 5 chapter 5 oh this is one of our favorite favorite places um, we're gonna start in verse 20 of chapter 5 it says moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound I remember the first time I read that, I was like, I don't get what that is talking about. What does it mean where sin abounds that grace will much more abound? And it wasn't until I had several experiences in a row that I was like, oh, I think I know what this means. Um, we've had the opportunity, both of us, to speak at the prison and at the detention center for youth. Um, I've had the opportunity to spend several nights in a 12-step program with a good friend and to be able to go through the process of what that looks like. And I'll never forget one time walking into a 12-step meeting. And as I walked in the room, I can remember thinking to myself, there, there just was something tangible there. Like I could almost feel, um, there, there was a hint of a promise of something. And I sat down and I thought to myself, is it hope? But it wasn't really hope. And I also thought to myself, is it like charity? Is it the pure love of Christ? Is that what I feel right now? But it also, it wasn't that. It wasn't love, but it, it spoke of love. But it was something that was more tangible than that. And I remember as that night progressed, thinking about it, and we were just in this really plain, basic room. Um, the walls were bare, other than this picture of Jesus that was hanging there. And I don't know if it always hung there or if it just hung there on 12-step nights. I taped don't know. It up. I hope someone taped it up yes. on that night only. And I just looked at it as we were sitting there and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I know what this is. I know what the feeling is. It's grace. It's an enabling power and it calls you back. If you've ever been to a 12-step program, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It calls you back. There is something about it that pulls you back into those meetings and and the best way to describe it is a strength beyond your own. I, I've thought a lot to myself, if all these people could just stay in this room with this feeling, they'd be fine forever. We'd all be fine. Everyone would be fine because of the power of the grace that is in that room, that, that is bestowed through Christ. 
And yet we all have to leave, right? We all have to walk out whatever that place is. Um, and that's how we learn to try and keep that enabling power with us, that grace that is promised through the atonement of Jesus Christ. But I can remember as I came home one night thinking about why is, why is the grace so tangible in those places, in the detention center, in the prison, in a 12-step program, why? And it made me think about the scripture when I was reading it. And, and let me just tell you a connection that I made. Um, I am terrible at physics. It is the only class I got a D minus in in college ever, my entire college career. And I think that was just pure luck and like <laughs> prayer that got me the D minus. And I don't even know if it was helpful to have a D minus. Probably <laughs> I'm going to have to retake physics if I ever go all the way through again. But there's just one part of that class that stood out to me. I just needed this one part. Um, it's Newton's. Did you write it down? Yeah. It's Newton's third law of motion. If you're really smart, you already know this. And if you're not smart like me, hopefully I don't ruin it. Did you look it up? Yes, sure I, I said promise. It right? Yes, I okay, promise. You say it since you just looked it up. Oh, for Can every yes, I remember because I got actually a hundred percent in it. <laughs> okay, you should take over um, the physics yeah. discussion right now. It's that law that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? Yeah. Don't okay. you love that? So God knows the law, obviously. He, yeah. He knew Newton. Right. He was like, Newton, here. Let me give you a good one. This is going to be a good we one. We drop an apple on your head and give you a really good <laughs> lesson, right? And um, that's true in physics, but I think it's also true spiritually as well. If there is going to be a, say it again. Uh, an action. An action. A force or an action. A force or an action, which Paul tells us is sin, then there is going to be an opposite and equal reaction back to that thing. And, and so when you go into places where sin abounds, the promise from God is grace will much more abound in that place. I just love the thought of that yeah. pushing against each other. And, and when you are in that place, when you are in that place that you think, I can't overcome this, that's when we have to remember um, grace is working double in that situation. In, in whatever is the overcomable, there is going to be that much more grace to help you overcome that thing. And I love the promise of that from Paul. Yeah, and I love that it's like, the, it's like it one-ups that Newton's law, yes. right? Where it's just like, I've come in and it's almost like someone once, like Adam and Eve did, they came in with sin and they ran. And God was like, wait, why are you running? Because as you come into me with sin, if you lean into me with your sin, I will lean back with much more grace, right? And that's what is, this is why we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's why we don't have to be ashamed of our, our weaknesses and sins. Because when we come to God and push and lean into him with our sin, he pushes back with much more grace. Like he meets us there not to scold us, but to heal us and to help us and, and strengthen, right? You and can't it just forget is, the strengthening. Yeah, it just is a it's it's just a powerful thing. It's it's a really really powerful experience to come in and, and recognize like I know I'm not saved by my own righteousness, and when someone recognizes that, mm -hmm. recognizes that, admits it, um, grace abounds even more. Mm -hmm. You know. And let's just walk them through what they're gonna write um, oh, down yeah. here on this bottom part of the. Um, so it just says when sin arrow up so when sin abounds then grace much more much more abounds um, 
We should have put a double arrow. I know, I really should Everybody put a double arrow. Add right a sick one right there. Oh, and then just so a awesome. chance to think about when you've seen that. That abundance, extra abundance of grace. He talks about in verse 17. Um, if for if one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And we just loved the thought of that abundance of grace. So that is lesson one on grace, yeah. everybody. That um, wherever sin abounds, grace will much more abound. That we can experience an abundance of grace in our life, um, that that grace is guaranteed to us through the righteousness of God. That He made the promise. We can count on the promise. And what a God we worship, right? Not one that let me meet all of these criteria before I receive your help, your help and your strength. But rather he says, come to me with your weakness, come to me with your disobedience, and that is the criteria for my help and my strengthening. Mm -hmm. Like that is so powerful and the fact that we're going to watch and we did all through the new testament you think of your favorite new testament story whatever it is might be fun to ask everyone but theirs is um, but wherever it is the woman at the well peter walking on the water the woman who reached out and touched christ's robe the man at the pool of bethesda the man in the gatherings you think of any story you want to and ask yourself this question where was jesus in that moment in that moment where healing was required, in that moment where sin abounded, in the moment when there was fear or when there was doubt or any of those moments, where was Jesus in that moment? And the answer every time is going to be within reach, like, like seriously right there, where they could just reach out and he was right there. And that's the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. Is it is it's going to meet you right there, wherever you are. Do you need healing? Um, does sin abound? Do you need strength in that moment? What is it you are seeking? Um, Jesus is going to meet you where you are, as you are. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. But He doesn't intend to leave you there. And it is through the power of His grace, through His enabling strength, through His healing that he is going to lift us and carry us to places we couldn't get to on our own. And that's going to be the message of grace that Paul teaches over and over and over again. And by the end of the New Testament, we hope you become so comfortable with the idea of grace that it becomes part of your vocabulary, but also part of the way you live your life. Hmm. Awesome. Okay. Hey, see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.